Seaside Holiday visits the antidote, and we're meeting with Kara M. Morgan. Thanks for coming for a talk. Thank you. Thanks for having us. The two of you are brother and sister. Which of you is the eldest? That would be me. I've got almost two years on Morgan. And so that means then that you, Kara, calls all the shots in the band. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, no. (laughs) We try to have kind of a an even partnership on this, so, yeah. <laughs> Which of the two of you brought out the idea of creating Seaside Holiday? Um, I think that uh, when we were younger, we didn't realize that each person wanted to do music, and one time, I don't know how it came out, but um, we uh, decided that uh, we just wanted to play, and we were in some high school bands together, and I guess just one thing led to another. We actually started writing music and we didn't have a band name at the time. And so uh, that's just kind of how it came together, I guess. Yeah, I would say um, we both definitely grew up in a home where there was lots of music going. I remember, you know, my earliest memories being listening to, uh, I think, the Beatles' Help 45 down in our basement. And, um, you know, like uh, lots of little girls of the 80s, I was enamored by Amy Grant. I know that's a rather embarrassing thing, but, you know, we we grew up with a, a lot of music, you know, Steppenwolf, The Doors. We had a pretty eclectic um, upbringing in that regard. We, we went to the same college, actually, and um, Morgan was involved with the, uh, what would you refer to that as, Morgan? Um, well, we were the, the college tech staff. And I was a music major. So those two kinds of training and whatnot sort of combined. And I think, like Morgan said earlier, just always dreaming of that and desiring to have an outlet for um, our love for music and that kind of creative impulse. I think that was around the time when it started to really springboard into a running project. And uh, the name itself, we actually pulled from uh, C.S. Lewis's The Weight of Glory, a little section out of that. So, We'll see. Now, I thought you two, being siblings in a band, were going to bring up the typical sibling story that their parents forced them into creating music. <laughs> <laughs> No, we had to like our earliest start with music was the the middle school band thing. I I was a flute player and Morgan played trumpet. This whole ska thing, I guess, died out before that was really really a thing. That we weren't really into that anyway. But oh, no, come I think on. somewhere ska <laughs> ska is fabulous. No, no, I mean I had some Supertones albums back in the day, and you know the some Five Iron stuff. So of course we were all touched by that, but. Um, I think it was high school when I decided that I wanted to learn guitar, and I think Morgan followed there pretty shortly with bass. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm answering all these things for you, Morgan. (laughs) Chime in whenever. (laughs) You're you're fine. You're good. Our uh, our grandfather owned a music store a long time ago, and we were really little when that closed. And our parents, I imagine they're musical, but they didn't really do a whole lot, so... I don't know if there was some interest in it genetically or something. I don't know. So, yeah. <laughs> I think I want to take a break from music for a second. Has anyone ever told you, Morgan, that you look so much like the actor Martin Freeman? Um, I don't know. <laughs> okay, well, I'm the Wait, first. Wait, can you still see us? <laughs> we, thought, we thought we fixed that. <laughs> I suppose I'm a dull guy, and I always like to start at the beginning. Your self-titled debut, tell us about it in the recording process. Sure. Well, um, 
basically that started when we were in college. We had like four track cassette uh, recorders and we had um, finally bought a digital audio workstation. It was uh, the original MBOX with Pro Tools. And uh, Kara was writing a lot of the songs for that, and she would record them into a boss looping pedal, <laughs> which is a very primitive way of doing this. But um, then when I would come home from college, she had graduated at the time, so I would come home from college and bring my computer, and uh, she would transfer all of that into Pro Tools. And that's kind of how we started with assembling it. It was a very slow process. And we learned a lot as we went along. So I think that the album, depending on which track you listen to, you might be able to kind of see that progression as we were just trying to kind of figure out how this all works and how it all goes together. And how long was that from start to finish? I was just going to say, I'm not sure. I, I kind of shudder to say, would 10 years? Uh, it wasn't that long, was it? I don't think it was it? quite that long. felt like it. <laughs> it was- like he said, though, <laughs> yeah, it sure did. <laughs> like he said, though, it was it was kind of a, the learning process as to how to to transfer those into actual working songs. You know, as far as the gear, that was probably the greatest hindrance, wouldn't you say? Yeah. And thankfully, that's Morgan's department. I was kind of just trying to do the song crafting, and he made that possible. So, yeah, we kind of started off at the time. I think a lot of Stereo Lab influence and fine china yeah i recall those being some pretty early influences uh the smiths yeah some of the always. stuff was uh inspired by that and um uh, i was really into stuff like circle of dust when i was younger oh man you're and picking up some obscure bands i know everybody but <laughs> a lot of people might not even though um, i did just recently interview clank so i know circle of dust Mm-hmm. we were fans of clank as yeah, well yes and uh, yeah, Circle of Dust is now Cell Dweller. A few more people might know Cell Dweller, but yeah. You brought up some of those influences. So obviously a lot of these are coming out of the almost underground Christian artists. How much of an influence was that as a whole, the faith aspect? Um, I think it was, at least for me, I think it was a very big influence. Or at least I just really gravitated to um, some of that stuff we would get like um rad rockers this is like this uh out of print music catalog and sometimes i mean you never knew what you were going to get when you would order stuff from them because you couldn't sample a song before you bought it uh buy stuff that way and you know sometimes you get something you really like and sometimes it would be something maybe you weren't quite that into yeah i mean for me it was huge um we loved the tooth and nail roster at the time. It was, you know, the more obscure stuff like Danielson and Joy Electric. And, you know, I still love Starflyer to this day. Um, you know, just that type of stuff. And I think especially, you know, being kind of younger in those teenage years, it was just kind of cool to have this whole pool of kind of unknown stuff to pull from that just was totally different, but really good. And you know, as Morgan was saying, you know, we used to make these really massive bulk orders and just kind of try different things. And, you know, I really liked some of the like Michael Knott stuff, the it was blonde vinyl or something was his label. Um, just different early stuff that we kind of happened upon through some of those other artists that I just mentioned. 
It's interesting that you brought that up because Seaside Holiday made a connection to the past then when you pulled in Ronnie Martin of Joy Electric for mixing and mastering (laughs) on your debut. I mean, he has a cult following, and that includes me. But I don't think everybody knows about him. So what about filling us in about Ronnie and how you made that connection? Um, You know, uh, looking at it, I guess it just kind of fell into place. Um, We uh, went to a lot of the shows that came through Ohio. And um, we live about an hour from Cleveland, an hour from Columbus, or an hour from Akron. So um, we'd have to travel, but we could hit all the shows that came in and you kind of get to know the people that go to the same shows and you get to talking to them and it's almost like a little family. So whenever you go to those shows, you kind of look for the people you met at, at the prior ones and that's how we got to know Ronnie kind of just seeing the show, seeing him come through. You, I mean, you hit it on the head. It definitely was a cult following. It sounds kind of goofy now, but there really was a community there, and we would meet up with the same people. There was this annual music festival called Autobahn that Ronnie would put together with a bunch of different bands like uh, Norway and Freeze Pop and just different stuff like that. I think John Sonnenberg's different projects through the years, Travelogue. Yes, Jacob Graham's stuff. Yeah, yeah, the guys that later went on to become the drums. Um, They were Elkland before that and Goat Explosion before that. Johnny Pierce and Jacob Graham were part of that community as well. So, you know, you go to enough shows when, when it, as you said, it was a cult following and you kind of develop friendships. And I would say that extended on to Ronnie. Yeah. Planted a church here locally. Mm-hmm. So we still run into him. How cool. <laughs> so we've been talking about Joy Electric and all of these other bands. Time to talk about music of Seaside Holiday. You guys fit into the synth-pop style of music. That genre is sometimes laughed at as being mindless. Is there any truth to that? Um, I mean, obviously we like it. We write in that. So I would say sometimes it gets a bad rap uh, from people just not understanding. Like It's a different uh, programming. A synthesizer, um, I guess, is just a little different than um, maybe you know, practicing guitar riffs a lot or, or something, but I, I think it's definitely a, an art form and everything is pieced together with intention. So I would tend to lean that I don't feel it's mindless. Yeah, and I think any genre runs the risk of something that's a personal preference. So, of course, anything can be deemed laughable. Um, and I think especially, I don't know how accurate this is, but it seems as though there's more of a shift everything seems to be a little more production-wise shifting into components of that sort of electronica, radio-friendly at least. Yeah, I think that definitely, um, when we first started this, in order to get your hands on an analog synthesizer, you had to like scour eBay or pawn shops, and um, everything was way expensive, and it was old, and you never knew quite (laughs) what you were going to get. Or how long it would take to get back into tune. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's been warming too. up for five hours. <laughs> but you know, um, even you can see, you know, the music stores and all the companies that are now re-releasing analog equipment. And um, I think that's a little bit of a sign of the times that, you know, just the industry as a whole is embracing 
um, even like uh, virtual synthesizers and digital synthesizers and things like that. But um, it's nice to have companies like Moog making new stuff again. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, that shows the, the shift in what's radio friendly now. It's interesting that you brought up about radio friendly because I'm not so sure how much of Seaside Holiday would really be considered radio friendly. I mean, realistically, no, point. <laughs> you know, I'd really say that your sound is really, it's more dark wave. I mean, this is not happy music. <laughs> no, I would agree. And I, yeah, to clarify, I wasn't specifically speaking about us. Yes, I agree with you. I would never apply that description to Seaside Holiday. <laughs> Which makes it seem paradoxical to have the happy-sounding band name Seaside Holiday when the music <laughs> is dark. Yeah. Um, it's from C.S. Lewis's The Weight of Glory, and it's a little excerpt that, that says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Um, I don't ever feel like at least my intention is to write dark music, but um, that's just kind of what ends up coming out, I guess. I set out to maybe on a mission to do something completely different, and that's what I end up with, so... The uh, name Seaside Holiday probably didn't mean to sound um, dark wave, but it's probably those influences of like the circle of dust and the uh, the industrial things that we used to listen to or um, whatever, the goth stuff that comes out in that or something. I don't know. Yeah, I've always gravitated toward that the darker kind of more um, melancholy style of music. I think this album, Grand Tours in particular, is especially dark sounding in contrast to even the debut album. You know, I, I think that it's unique in that, but yeah, by and large, we, we probably are a bit of a darker band. Well, I mean, gloomy topics. I guess maybe <laughs> that's a natural for a band that comes from a town called Widowville. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, we're just playing the part, you know, living up to the name. Does living there make you nervous, Morgan? I never thought about it like that. <laughs> it's about five houses, and I like to think that I live in the suburbs, so maybe I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, that's where we grew up, and I, I believe the story is that it was prior to the Civil War named Hammond Town. Yeah, and after the Civil War, um, there were... You can kind of figure it out. <laughs> yeah, quite a few people who didn't come back home. The so devastation of it the It became War. Widowville. It sounds trite, but I believe it's true. <laughs> <laughs> Back to gloomy topics. I mean, an example of that dark tone is on your self-titled debut with the song Habitual Healer. It has the line, Wounded healer, I've become habit healer, no shock, no stun, valiantly numb. So you're not comfortably numb like Pink Floyd? <laughs> <laughs> Correct. That would have probably run into some copyright infringements. But <laughs> <laughs> that material in that album, well, at the time it was written, I mean, we're talking quite a few years ago, but that was just kind of a reflection of some of the different dealings with people close to me and, and things like that. And so, you know, now years down the road, the way music tends to be, it's kind of a placeholder and sort of a memento of, you know, a marking of part of your life. 
I don't remember the absolute specifics. If I were to go back and revisit it, I probably could give you a little more detail on that. But <laughs> You mentioned musically a lot has happened since that debut release. Okay, maybe I'm going to be harsh here. Kara, your vocals have improved. The production <laughs> is better, and you've gone even deeper with the lyrics on the Grand Tours album. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, vocals are probably the area that I feel the least confident, I guess. So I'm pleased to hear that. I'm glad Kara's doing the vocals and not me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Starting out when we originally kind of put the band together, that was another thing. Morgan just flat out refused to sing. So by default. I'm doing the world a favor by not <laughs> singing. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of like with myself. People have asked, well, you sing. And it's like, no, I sound like a duck being flushed in a toilet. <laughs> That's how I feel, too. <laughs> but, then, but then we think of people like Tom Waits. You just never know. Really unique voice that people gravitate toward. That just grabs attention. Like Leonard yeah, Cohen. Exactly. It's incredible. <laughs> so you've never actually felt totally comfortable doing vocals? Um, not really. No, it's like I said, it's just always been something that I that I've struggled with to feel very confident about it. It's something that over time in Seaside in particular and just other things that I've done musically where it, I've just kind of had to try to learn to embrace it a little bit. And I think that that's an area that I've probably made some strides in. But yeah, it's just nothing I've ever felt I was naturally adept at. I know I have a unique voice. Yeah, I just, I guess I struggle with it a little bit, feeling very confident about it. To get really specific about it, your tone has been described as being ethereal. How does that add to the music itself? Well, I think that it has a sort of... Um, a dream pop sort of sound. I think that it, it kind of ends up. Help me out. Morgan. I don't know how to answer for you. Um, I mean, I definitely think that it it makes our sound more our sound. I feel like sometimes we get thrown into the category of like an Evanescence comparison, just because we. <laughs> Except that I could never sing like Amy Lee. <laughs> female vocals, but we do. We could get thrown into that sometimes, but um. I think it helps Seaside Holiday stand out as our own thing. I also think that from a mix standpoint, the fact that I listened to a lot of Slow Dive and My Bloody Valentine and that sort of thing where it seemed permissible to just kind of shove the vocals in the background a little bit, if that makes sense, sort of bury them. Mm -hmm. And I think that's sort of been the default, like, oh, I can hear myself. Can we like set that back a little? So as far as critiques that we've kind of gotten through the years too, that's another one where it's like, well, I, I can't understand what you're saying. We were doing a rough mix on a track on our very first <sighs> album and uh, it was a really rough one. And Kara kept telling me to tuck the vocals in a little bit until I'd pretty much completely turned them off. <laughs> <laughs> so, Well, at least you decided yeah. to go so that route instead of wanting to be an Amy Grant <laughs> cover band. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I, yeah, we're, we're growing in that area. We're trying to restructure the mixes a bit and that sort of thing. <laughs> I have to tell you, when I first heard the title of your latest release, Grand Tours, I was expecting sort of a band tour retrospective, but I mean, I wasn't even close. This album uses space exploration for its theme. How does that concept tie into the human condition? Well, um... I approached Kara about doing an album that was a little bit of a space theme 
but at the same time, each track is a comparison of um, kind of like the story of a spacecraft, but also the human condition. Um, I've always kind of had a fascination with space, and uh, when I look at the night sky, I feel like it has this way of kind of um, humbling me, kind of making my problems not seem as big. And um, I remember a few years ago, uh, one of the Voyager spacecrafts, um, they were trying to determine when it actually would hit interstellar space. I read about you know how far away it was from the Earth and how long it takes when it sends a radio signal for the Earth to receive it and how many millions of years is it going to take to ever run into another solar system. And you think about like when they made that spacecraft, uh, the purpose and the excitement and um, the intent that they were going to you know, go see the uh, gas giants in our solar system. And here it is years and years later, and it's like that purpose has been fulfilled. And the spaceship is just wandering in space. And what is its purpose? And we've gotten a lot more information from it. And we've kind of uh, changed the mission as it's gone along. But um, you think about life and you think, you know, purpose and meaning in a person's life and you know, drifting along. And it was just kind of to tie, I guess, those two things together. And the Grand Tours actually comes from uh, the Grand Tour was going to be when they sent the Voyager craft out to see some of these planets we had never been to with a probe before. And they said it was going to be the Grand Tour of our, our solar system. You have to be a dedicated space geek because... <laughs> All of this happened long before you were even thought of. Yes, it did. But uh, I just, I don't know. It's just, it helps me kind of put things back into perspective. Mm. I think that it's interesting and I'm a nerd and I eat that up apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I grew up during Apollo era. So as a kid, I would set an alarm clock to wake up at two o'clock in the morning to go down and watch TV for half an hour as they did a late night check-in with an Apollo crew. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so you get where I'm coming from. I totally get where you're coming from. <laughs> <laughs> I found the songs really captivating on Grand Tours, like the end of all things. And it does have positivity in the verse, sparsely penned rhymes transcribed within cells to symbolize and chart our strides, etch for the role of commoner, always the way to varied methods of escape. Personally, what does that song mean for you? Well, I don't, I'm not dodging your question, but the album as a whole, um, like when Morgan presented his original idea like that he just spoke of about the space thing, we talked about how that tied in with the human condition. As we were working through writing those and just how we question, we're, we're searching for meaning, we're searching for worth, kind of justifying our existence, that sort of thing. Partially through the writing period, in my own personal life, I just went through a very, very dark season. I had some things happen that kind of shook me to the point where, for a time, kind of everything that I had placed worth and value in and just all of this, the the attachments that felt like they had been kind of pillars that was all gone. And I know it sounds really dramatic, but it was very real. 
And in that was definitely a season where where I was kind of faced with the roots of what it, what I truly believed. And for me, that was where my faith really came into play as far as, you know, I've claimed this. This is what, you know, I've kind of identified. You know, I believe these things and this is what I claim I know. But it wasn't until that, you know, as they call it, the dark night of the soul that I really really was faced with those questions and the realness of everything, what really mattered and sort of had to build from the ground up. And so the songs deal as a whole with the prevailing theme of redemption. That's something to me that the grace and redemption is kind of the overarching theme of the album, I would say. Um, But in that, you know, as you stated, it's dark because that was my reality. And I think that's not to make a general statement, but I mean, that's just kind of the reality of, of things here where it's uncertain and life can be very tragic and dark, but also very beautiful to be willing to just open up and experience that to feel the pain, but also the redemption is, is something that I was attempting, I guess, to encapsulate in an album, (laughs) you know, (laughs) that you're just given that that was, I know quite a task, but, um, that's kind of a, a basic overview. So the song in particular, you were asking about the end of all things. Just even with the chorus line, we begin at the end of all things. I think some things have to be stripped away to really see things clearly. And sometimes things have to meet a very sudden end for us to kind of realize, you know, I don't actually have control of this and it's okay. Most people struggle with that. Uh, well, I do too. I certainly haven't mastered that in this, but yeah, that was definitely something, you know, even the time that since we wrote it, it's interesting to read over those things and remember how it was like you were acutely aware of everything and just just when you're going through something that's such a, a trial and, and such a kind of reevaluating th- everything in your life just felt like everything was... Like, just all of your senses were firing. I'm probably starting to sound really abstract. Like, I should go out and twirl in a field. But Mm -hmm. um, even now, you know, reading over that, I think our tendency is to just kind of settle in again. That's just the human tendency. We get comfortable again. We get, you know, into our schedules and into our routine. And I think that the album, for me, from a lyrical standpoint, was born from a time where I was kind of accurately aware of the fact that, like, Nothing is certain. Sound like a self-motivational thing, but you can you can choose to live fully in the moment and also the acknowledgement of just this here and now is not guaranteed and it's not all that there is in what what is beyond this. You were speaking about the lyrics, and that's where Seaside Holiday doesn't make it easy because the lyrics are veiled. Why not keep the song simple and open? You know, on a personal standpoint, I've always gravitated toward lyrics that are a little more abstract, if you will, that are more poetic, not that not to discount any others, but just have sort of a an abstraction, but also um, kind of paint with words and create imagery that can be kind of an, interpreted differently for the listener. I'm not downplaying other lyrical styles, but i've I've never really enjoyed lyrics that are just very overt and sort of storytelling. Here I'm going to chime in on lyrics since I have You're nothing to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But for me, like to go back to, we were talking about like Joy Electric. And as a band, I feel like in the early stuff, there's so much stuff going on musically that um, it's fun to listen to something like that over and over and over again because you can pick up things that you didn't necessarily catch the first time you heard it. So there's like uh, uh, deep lyrics are fun to chew on maybe or to uh, think about it. Like you uh, meditate on the words a little bit to figure out what the artist is trying to say. Yeah. And uh, and it kind of keeps you coming back for more. It takes it longer to get old. Yeah. I, yeah, I would agree with that. But also, I, you know, on a personal level, I know exactly everything that I was writing about specifically. You know, it, it applies completely to my reality and... I understand like it wasn't like I was just throwing words around and you know well that sounds good there and that kind of partially rhymes you know I I actually put an awful lot of time and consideration into how how the words were crafted and where the lines went and um, just the craft of it Um, even though it only took you four years to do this one (laughs) instead of 10 years (laughs) well well, yeah and and as I (laughs) as I alluded to earlier there were a few roadblocks in the way on this one but I think that's another thing. Music is kind of a time marker and it's a piece of your life and it's something that can carry on as sort of a remnant. And so it's interesting even now to have this piece of art from that time because, you know, much like smells and tastes and that sort of thing, it, when you hear certain things, it takes you back to a particular time and you can sort of revisit that. And for this, you know, being able to think of the reality at the time that it was written versus where we are now, like I do with any other artists album or, or, you know, favorite albums that we have. It's obviously different when it's your own art. And so I don't really listen to it in the same respect, you know, to have that project there out in the abyss of music. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I want to finish up by asking this, a concept album, it's closing song often sums up the release. Is that the case with the track, the enduring fade? I think musically, the intent was to sum it up um, with the uh, the fade out. I actually had mm-hmm. an original role in Juno 106 that some of the voice chips were going out of, and it was making this weird, uh, the sound that you hear on the album, it's something I probably won't ever be able to recreate because the chips were going bad. But uh, the, the idea was like drifting off out into space or um, kind of meditative, Um, we also had a track that originally we were going to lead the album in with, uh, that sound come into the album, do the album and then go out with that. But we ended up doing that track on a, uh, 45 vinyl. As far as thematic with, uh, the lyrics, I won't speak into that, but I was happy musically with putting that track as the last track on the album. I think the two of you have made it difficult for yourselves to top what you've done with Grand Tours. Does that ever make you apprehensive about future recordings? Um, I think it can to some degree. I was really, really happy with how everything came together and the artists we worked with and Nicholas Rowe on the mastering. So I was just really pleased with it. Um, But then when... I get nervous about that. I just go back to thinking, like, I just do this uh, for fun. I do this as, um, you know, an outlet. And that kind of helps, I guess. So, yeah, I think 
I think especially when it's relatively fresh and you've just released it, there is that, as you said, that sense of apprehension. But I think there's been enough time that the drive for songwriting kind of hits eventually. And that's just kind of what you feel like you have to do, I guess. You know, it's just, it's the release. It's the artistic expression. So, yeah, I mean, the desire is to continue to improve on things and to do something that we feel is stylistically what what we want to do. As you said earlier, it's not a style that's very um, chart-topping or mainstream, but that's not what we want to do. We write music that we find to be interesting. Yeah, and if anyone listening, I guess my hope is just that it can take them someplace else, kind of mental escape or something for a while, and obviously we hope they like it, but... We all know that it's not it's not for everyone. So, I think it's easy to think back to yourself when you were younger, and as we were saying earlier about the uh, the bands that we gravitated toward when we were, you know, the Joy Electrics, the Danielson family, that type of stuff. And it wasn't as though we had droves of people alongside us, like, yeah, I love this music. So I would be more than happy to just know that there are people out there that Seaside Holidays a similar outlet for them where they can find some enjoyment in in the music and is something that could be meaningful for their lives, I guess. Maybe that's even a lofty goal, but, you know, at least enjoyable. <laughs> that's great. Morgan and Kara are Seaside Holiday, and they've been here with The Antidote. Guys, thanks for this visit. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so yeah, much for having you. us. We really appreciate it. Yeah.